Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the John Solomon Reports podcast. This is not John Solomon. It's Sophie Mann filling in for John. John will be back soon. But for today, we've got a great interview with um, senior policy analyst at the Center for Security Policy, Stephen Bryan. That's coming up. Uh, We're going to be talking all things China. It's a great and really wide ranging conversation, super topical as well. As we know, China has been making aggressive moves in the South China Sea uh, just this week. They flew um, up to 75 planes into Taiwan's protected airspace, sending a clear threatening signal to the small island nation. So uh, we're going to be discussing exactly what that means, what it could mean moving forward. And of course, how the United States needs to be responding. But um maybe isn't. Actually, a breaking report from just this morning indicates that United States troops have actually been deployed to Taiwan for at least a year now, training up the Taiwanese military, uh, meaning that to some degree, the U.S. military is perfectly well aware of exactly the type of threat that China poses and is trying to get this much smaller, less well-resourced country in fighting shape for what uh, the Taiwanese defense minister said yesterday, he believes, is a coming war. So again, we're going to get into the details of it with someone who knows way more about it than I do. Uh, That's Stephen Bryan. So we will be coming at you with that right after the break. Hope you guys all checked out John's great interview with former President Trump yesterday. It was another really great and wide-ranging interview. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I recommend heading over to the podcast page that's on, you know, Apple, Stitcher, any place where you listen to your podcast. Of course, it's always available over on our site, justthenews.com. John speaks with former President Trump, especially about some interesting commands, for lack of a better word, coming out of the DOJ this week pertaining to parents and their rights vis-a-vis critical race theory being taught to their children in school. So you can hear exactly what President Trump's view on the DOJ's role in all of that is and how it's, you know, affecting our civic life and the lives of our children moving forward. So we're going to be right back after a quick commercial break with Stephen Bryan. Stick around. We look forward to that interview. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition 
the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook a, a vegetable dinners and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you your 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the John Solomon Reports podcast. This is Sophie Mann subbing in for John again today, who is traveling, but we assure you he will be back soon. So we've got a great guest today. We've got uh, Stephen Bryan, who is a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, and he's going to be discussing with us a really hot button issue, something that um, has been a little bit out of the headlines the past couple days, but really shouldn't be because it's something that we all need to be thinking about truly all the time. And that is, of course, um, China and sort of their movement in terms of, uh, you know, our own national security and, of course, their actions uh, with Taiwan, which have been heating up in particular over the past week or so. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Steve Bryan onto the podcast. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for being here. So yeah, like let's get right into it and just begin discussing the issue in a little bit of depth. Can you give us sort of a, a, an, an up-to-date um, situation report on what exactly is happening in China? Let's start vis-a-vis uh, Taiwan. Well, as far as Taiwan is concerned, you know, the Chinese have been threatening Taiwan uh, both with uh, air and naval incursions around what's called the air defense identification zone of Taiwan. And they've sent a lot of airplanes, uh, mainly fighter airplanes, but also nuclear bombers and electronic uh, aircraft uh, around the island, uh, threatening to, you know, it looks like they're going to attack, but of course they don't. They've, they've sent over 75 airplanes in the last week. So it's a lot. It's very unusual for them to do this much. And it's it's been building up for some time, but it's quite threatening and worrisome. Uh, and no one knows, you know, what the Chinese will will do. I mean, they've left 
they've left us guessing. We really don't know. Right. So, I mean, certainly uh, these these planes being sent into protected airspace is being um, interpreted as a, a harsh warning sign from China. Taiwan's uh, defense minister said in front of his own government this week that he fears that it's time for the country to prepare for war. Now, the timeline he sketched out was a little bit interesting. He said that he believes China could be gearing up to go to war with Taiwan um, by 2025. Can you lend any uh, understanding to exactly that timeline? I mean, it seems like that's certainly a couple years off and um, some things would have to play out that maybe the listeners are not as familiar with. What, what say you? Yeah, I don't know what he was basing that on. I mean, it's very hard to say. Um, maybe he was looking at the Chinese uh, uh, ability to carry troops across the straits and to attack the island. That's a possibility, but but he wasn't clear about it, so we don't know. I don't think there's any timeline. In other words, I think it could be tomorrow or the next day or five years from now or never. Hmm. We just don't know that. I mean, there's no way to know that. I was in, just to give you some background, I, I was in Taiwan in 1996. Uh, I went there with uh, Jim Woolsey, who was the, who had just been the head of the CIA, had just retired from the CIA, and Admiral Bud Edney. And we went over there because there was a lot of threats going on then, and the Chinese were carrying out a massive missile drill, firing missiles uh, in and around the Taiwan Straits, but not, not hitting Taiwan. Uh, and then it started to look like they were massing troops. This was 1996. And at that point, we started asking Washington, both the White House and the Pentagon, you know, you guys have to do something. You have to get in there and block this because otherwise they're going to, they're going to attack. Um, and after two weeks, finally, that was the Clinton administration. Finally, they sent two carrier task forces in and the Chinese backed down. But it could have happened then. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't nearly as prepared as they are today. Right. No, I mean, and, and that is interesting. I mean, we're just hearing reports uh, this morning that, as it turns out, a U.S. special ops unit has actually been in uh, as well as a Marine unit ha- has been in Taiwan for the past year or so training uh, Taiwanese, the Taiwanese military. Um, so do you think, yeah, I mean, that's ha- supposed to be secret. It's supposed to be secret. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, and it certainly was until, until this very morning. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's Thursday right now. So we'll see sort of what the news cycle ends up doing with that information. But that sort of indicates that um, the United States has certainly been aware of, of the rising threat uh, of China, China's aggression toward Taiwan. I mean, I guess the, the big question here, at least as it pertains to um, the Biden administration, is sort of what type of a situation does this aggression, this Chinese aggression toward Taiwan put the U.S. in? And sort of what would be the United States' obligation to act if China did, in fact, attack Taiwan or even just continue to sort of behave aggressively as it has? Well, but in both cases, we gave uh, very concrete assurances to uh, Taiwan as late as 2016 to uh, tell them that we would we would not tolerate that kind of thing and and that we would we would take action if they were threatened that way. So, yes, we've given assurances like that. Um, there's no legal obligation on the part of the, we have no defense treaty with Taiwan. So what we have is the Taiwan Relations Act and these six assurances that were given to the Taiwanese and which was reaffirmed yesterday by the State Department to Taiwan after Biden's unfortunate statements. Mm-hmm. So they jumped in and said, no, 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 no. So, you know, because what Biden was saying was that we would somehow uh, obey the original three communiques with China 
uh, and he didn't mention the six assurances. And, and it became a, a big alarm bells in, tai, in Taipei because they saw this as, as a change in U.S. policy, right. which it would have been, and, and, and a bad one. And so uh, I think that the State Department immediately moved to correct that, which was right to do. That, that right. was the right move. Right. And I mean, we've heard um, that, you know, top State Department advisors have been meeting with their Chinese counterparts. Um, President Biden will be meeting with uh, Xi Jinping later this month, um, albeit virtually, to discuss sort of relationships. And you, you'd have to assume that that conversation was going to include uh, the, the Taiwanese relationship. I, I think uh, something that a lot of people are wondering, um, especially in terms of the way that the Biden administration has thus far dealt with China, which is to say not really very much at all. Um, people are wondering sort of, is the United States under President Joe Biden equipped to functionally deal with um, a Chinese threat toward Taiwan? That's a very and, good, that's a very good question. Yeah, there, go there, are, there are a lot of uh, ins and outs to that question. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, one is how prepared are we militarily? Where are we positioning our forces? What are our obligations to other countries in the region, especially Japan? I mean, the Japanese have made it absolutely clear that any attack on Taiwan would be an existential threat to Japan. Mm-hmm. And so they have announced also that they're prepared to help Taiwan in such a case. So, I mean, that's quite ambitious for for the Japanese. They don't usually do that. Japan is our ally. We have a defense agreement with Japan. If something happens in the region, we're obligated. There's no doubt about that. So uh, I think that, that we have the capability to deter China still. Uh, we have a relationship, an important one, with Japan, which is a very key ally. Mm-hmm. We're trying to help the Taiwanese to the extent that we can, but we have to show it. And right now, you know, it's unclear that we're showing that. And and I thought that the Biden statement was, was after his conversation with Xi, uh, was not very helpful. In fact, it was uh, undermining us in many ways. So what would showing it look like from the commander in chief and uh, his, you know, administration? Well, I think one of the things we could do is put patrols around air and naval patrols around Taiwan on a full time basis Hmm. to let the Chinese know that, you know, we're not going to tolerate these intrusions and we're going to shadow their airplanes, not just Taiwan's going to shadow them, but we're going to shadow them. we're going to chase them out. Right. I think the Chinese will back down. I mean, my own personal, they don't want to get into a war with us. Yeah, no, I think that that, and it's even sort of at this juncture hard to imagine sort of this type of aggressive land war type of movement, which we just haven't really seen in so long. And yet uh, China just continues to to ramp up. And I think people are beginning to take notice. Of course, they've, you know, clearly this has been in the works for longer than we've been taking oh, yeah, notice of it. Oh, yeah, they've been in the works since 1996. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. When, when they decided they had to figure out how to counter the United States. That, their, whole, their whole focus is on how to counter the United States. They're not worried about Taiwan. They're worried about the United States. Right. And so, I mean, let's, on that note, discuss some some of China's other movements in the region and toward the United States. I mean, something that especially I think hasn't maybe been in the headlines as much as would otherwise be warranted is that China has, you know, for a while been lining up troops on um, India's border, certainly the fall of Afghanistan. Right. No, exactly. So so talk to us a little bit about your sort of analysis of that movement. Well, it's not just India, but also the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also putting pressure on Vietnam and on other countries, uh, Indonesia, other countries in the area, the Philippines. I mean, th- this is 
part of the aggressive uh, nature of China today, which has this burgeoning military and a desire to use it. They want to control at least the first island chain along uh, in Asia. They want to keep the Indians under, you know, under pressure so that uh, India doesn't join in alliances with their Southeast Asian and South Asian neighbors. I mean, this is all part of, I think, an expansionist mentality on the Chinese side. Right. I mean, it certainly seems that way. And so I guess to that end, do you feel that uh, the United States sending patrol ships and um, air patrol to Taiwan is really enough to deter the type of aggression that we're seeing from China? And I guess in your mind, Stephen, what would a coherent Chinese, uh, like American Chinese foreign policy look like from a U.S. administration? Well, first coherent thing we could do, aside from, you know, putting ourselves in between uh, Taiwan and, and China, which I think is a very, a very important thing to do and the immediate thing we can do. I think the other important thing we can do, and I've written about this both in the Asia Times and Epic Times, is, mm. is that we need to have a, a common military command between the U.S., Japan, and Taiwan so that we can coordinate our operations and, and we can act like we're in an alliance. Right now, we don't have that. We don't have anything. So, I mean, it's been too long. I mean, we, we have this quad business, but it's too generalized and it's not focused. We have to have uh, something that's much more focused and, and much more like NATO in a way, like an alliance. And we desperately need that. Right. I mean, I, I suppose that does make a lot of sense, especially as, um, you know, tensions really reach a boiling point over there. I mean, this has been, you know, a, a certainly a wide-ranging discussion. I guess, Stephen, what do you think are sort of the the biggest tension points, the things that um, Americans and, you know, anybody watching uh, should be paying the most attention to in terms of China's global movement? Well, I think Taiwan's at the top of the list. Right. I mean, I really do. But right behind it is Japan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the, uh, the Chinese are putting pressure on, the, on some Japanese islands called the Senkaku Islands. Mm-hmm trying to say they belong to China, they don't belong to Japan. And this is the kind of thing that they're doing everywhere. And they're greedy and they're pushing and, uh, you know, and they want to control all of Asia if they can. That's their goal. It's not in our interest for that to happen. In fact, it's very much negative to our interests, our economic, our political and military interests. Pushes us back toward uh, Guam and then really back toward Hawaii, which I don't think we want to do that again. I mean, the whole idea after World War II was not to get caught that far back and, and where we can't we can't protect our interests. Right. So sort of pivoting away uh, as we wrap things up from purely militaristic activity on China's part, how would you say that their, um, you know, actions at this moment that we're paying attention to sort of comport with, you know, the, the dozens and dozens of reports that we've heard of, you know, uh, Chine- Chinese um, scientists infiltrating our institutions and professors and students and all of the things that we sort of hear in the realm of academia and our intelligence apparatuses and uh, the like, just in terms of them sort of permeating our culture and our stratosphere in in that sense and using that information in the ways that they do. How did these things all sort of go together to form a more complete picture of China's long-term plan vis-a-vis well, I think the it United tells you States more about and our the globe? Than, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't managed to... Uh, to deal with the academic penetration. We haven't managed to deal with the cyber theft and stealing. We haven't managed to control our own companies who are giving away all their technology to China. We are putting ourselves in a very bad spot because, you know, I like to say we have two defense budgets, one for ourselves and one for China. 
because that's what it amounts to when you're giving away all your, uh, you know, they've stolen all the plans of the F-35 and the F-22. I mean, they have been very successful in penetrating us up and down the scale, uh, both uh, openly and through by the back door secretly. So I think that this is a problem we need to clean up, and uh, we haven't done it. We're way far away from doing it. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, disconcerting. Uh, you know, it, it does just seem in some ways, I mean, I hate to sound pessimistic about this, but like an insurmountable problem um, for the United States government, particularly this administration, which again, you know, eight, nine, ten months in here, we're just not seeing any type of really coherent China policy, you know, uh, one reason it seems that Biden and um, uh, Xi Jinping are going to be having this virtual conference is because they've yet to really face to face. I mean, you know, uh, Xi won't be at the at the Group of 20 summit later this month. And so I, I think that at least on Biden's part and maybe, you know, uh, via the, the counsel of some of his State Department advisors, he's um, being told that it, it's really time to begin speaking with China if they want to get a grip of the problem, which they just don't seem to have been acting with any urgency to do up until this point. Well, I think we should certainly uh, we should certainly meet with the Chinese and, and tell them what we expect from them and what they should not do. That's part of the puzzle. But the other part is getting our own act together, which we're not doing. Mm -hmm. Except, you know, even really we're not doing it maybe marginally in the military, but beyond that, we're not doing it. And so the sloppiness and the the loss of technology from the United States, the penetration, and the and the economic ties which are killing us, you know, not only from a military and security point of view, but also from a jobs point of view, economic point of view. I mean, we let this fester for years, and it's so far out of control that it's, you know, all our major Silicon Valley companies are embedded in China. Mm-hmm. And that's not good for our future. No, Simply not at all. not good. So, I mean, the final question here, Stephen, and then I'll, I'll let you go. And we so appreciate you um, being here today. Sure. What would be the best way to confront sort of some of these domestic threats and uh, companies that the Chinese have permeated on our own soil? Well, I think we have to lay down some, some strict rules about what can be shared through technology, what can't be shared, what are the sensitive industries that have to be protected, and we have to demand that they are protected. You know, so we can do that through law can do that through export control mechanisms. We have we have the legal basis for it, but we're not doing it. Right. So, I mean, definitely some more uh, plans coming out of yeah. the various branches of government that control those types of operations would be good. I, I guess we'll see what happens and how um, this conversation between Xi and Biden goes later <clears throat> this month. And of course, I think uh, the world is watching right now what happens with Taiwan. I'm sure Taiwan. you're right about that. Yeah. So, Stephen, thank you so much for being here today. Again, that was Stephen Bryan, um, a, a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. He does a lot of writing about China and, you know, a variety of other subjects. It's all quite worthwhile, um, very intelligent. I would highly recommend checking it out. Stephen, is there anywhere else um, people can view your work? Well, you can see my work on, on Asia Times, Epic, uh, Epic Times, and also sometimes uh, on Newsweek as well. Okay, great. Again, thanks so much, Stephen. And we will be right back after a very quick commercial break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back, everyone, to the John Solomon Reports podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Wasn't Stephen Bryan great, everyone? He is just so unbelievably well-informed about this subject matter. Uh, You know, he's been laser-focused on it for years and years. Almost nobody, I think, uh, in the D.C. world better, better suited to discuss the multifaceted Chinese threat, especially in, you know, broad strokes for for an informational interview like that. Then, Steve, I would really recommend checking out his work. As he said, um, he's got some stuff up at the Epic Times, Newsweek, Asia Times, a variety of scholarly work as well. He's just had such a long and decorated career on this subject matter. It's certainly worth listening to what he has to say about all of this. So we will be back tomorrow with another great episode. Again, it's going to be me sitting in for John. We're going to be talking to Scott Shea, the co-founder and chairman of Signature Bank of New York. Outside of his banking role, he actually has been researching up on uh, anti-Semitism on campus, on college campuses specifically, something that, you know, has been well in focus, especially since last spring during the um, exchange of rocket fire, mostly coming from Hamas, but some rockets being fired from Israel during that uh, 11-day skirmish. So he has a new book out called Conspiracy U, a case study, and he talks about the sort of sneaky ways in which conspiracy theories, tried and true conspiracy theories about Israel and the Jewish people and Zionism have permeated mainstream academia and are now influencing kids, Jewish students, non-Jewish students alike, and informing modern movements like the boycott, divest, sanction, the BDS movement, and the way that boards are behaving, and sort of just the global vision of Jewish people and Israel alike. It'll be a really interesting conversation. I hope you guys tune in for it. Hope you guys liked today's podcast. If you're looking for more information on what's going on in Taiwan, I recommend heading over to Just the News dot com where we've really been on this beat covering it pretty closely since sort of things began heating up earlier this week and we'll continue to pay attention to it if you feel so inclined it'd be great if you guys could leave us a review of the podcast we love a five star but we love hearing your notes on what's going on on who we're interviewing if there's a subject you'd like to hear more about let us know we love hearing from you until tomorrow though have a great rest of your day god bless america and god bless you